0: Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone.
1: Father we uh, we thank you and praise you that by your holy spirit you are with us this morning or that we are a people who are here expectant lord who uh, who expect to hear from you lord would you uh, would you make good on your promises and would you meet with us this morning through your word use would you stir up through your holy spirit desire in us and stoke joy in our hearts this morning we praise the, we pray these things in Jesus name amen so like Kindle acknowledged in our call to worship, uh, what we're going to be talking about this morning is joy. And I, we got to start by asking the question, uh, what is joy? So I want to ask you that question. What is joy? I would love a few, uh, a few audience, or a, a brave congregants to participate this morning. So g- give me some shouts. It doesn't necessarily mean happiness. It yeah, what else? Gratitude? It's gratitude, connected with gratitude, yeah. So Say that again. The birth, the birth of a child, yes. A circumstance that is connected with joy. It can live with sorrow. It can be connected with sorrow, yeah. It's a choice. It's a choice. Deep-seated peace. Deep-seated peace. Maybe I should just let you guys preach this sermon. I love it. Okay, and and what I want to acknowledge for us this morning is that when we talk about joy, uh, I don't know if you ever experience conflict in your life when you hear about that. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while, and when you hear this idea of joy, you're just talking about joy, you have this sneaking suspicion that maybe you're doing something wrong. Like, maybe I should have more joy in my life than I have right now. That we could have this idea that being a Christian means, oh, I've got to be always filled with this thing that I don't know if I have. And so the desire for something good, for joy, ends up becoming this thing that we're always judging ourselves about. And we've spent a lot of time, I think, in our Christian lives, and even in our world, talking about what joy is and joy isn't. And we can get these very complicated spiritual responses. And I want to shut that down for us this morning. That in a lot of ways, joy is very similar to gladness. Maybe even the same thing, that biblically, there's no difference between those two things. Joy is not a uniquely uh, Christian emotion or experience. Like when you go on Minted to figure out what Christmas cards you're going to use, the Christmas cards for joy are not only relegated to the religious section of the Christmas cards. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody in our world experiences joy and everyone in our world wants to experience more joy. That's what it is to be human. We all experience it and we all want more of it. That's why if you were to turn on your television and hit mute, whenever a commercial comes up, what you all always are gonna see is that the people in the commercial at some point are smiling. Either they spend the entire commercial smiling or they start sad and then end up smiling. It's because what, what the people who are trying to sell us things and market us things know is that what we deeply desire is joy. Joy. And this, this passage speaks to that desire in our hearts. Remember, we've talked about how Isaiah is this prophet, so kind of in the Old Testament before Jesus comes, and his goal is to wake up the people, to wake up God's people. And one of the things he is waking up God's people to is their deep desire for joy. One of the things this prophet is saying to the people of Israel is, do you have a desire for joy that is far deeper than you can, than you can imagine? far deeper than you even want to admit to yourselves. And that message is true for us. That Isaiah this morning, that that the Holy Spirit is using it to wake us up to say that you and I have a desire for joy that is far deeper than we like to admit to ourselves. It's true. In this passage, it reveals something to us about the way joy operates, that joy is something uh, that we experience uh, that's deeply connected with hope. Because what Isaiah is doing here is he's telling the people there's a time coming that's going to be full of great joy. So he's creating a hope inside of them by telling them about the joy that's coming. Yeah, a hope inside of them about the joy that's coming. But he does that to stoke joy in their lives now. So the hope for something in the future can bring joy into our lives now. And that joy can come further into our lives when we see those hopes realized. So joy is rooted in the hope that we have for future joy. And then we experience joy when we see those hopes realized. And Christmas, right, is a great microcosm of that. Like you make a Christmas list and you think about what do I want, want, well, at least your kids are doing this, right? What do I want for Christmas? And so we have these ideas of the things that we're looking forward to. And sometimes the idea of thinking about what we might get is exciting. Is that true for any of you? And then on Christmas day, you, you open the gift and there's excitement or joy that comes by seeing the hope realized. And that's true so often uh, when people find out, that they're, when they find out that they're pregnant. That, oh, there's this hope of a baby coming and the hope of the baby coming brings joy into the now. And then when the baby comes, there's joy when the baby gets here. Right, so there's this relationship between what we hope for and, and then the consummation of that hope, and there's joy in both of those things. That's what our, that's what our passage reveals to us this morning, If that that's true about the human condition, what it means for us to experience joy. And what this passage also acknowledges for us is that our experience of joy is often, is always Haunted. But our experience of joy, our experience of gladness, is always haunted. Let me try to just explain what I mean here. I had a friend, uh, a friend who said to me one time, we were, we were laughing about something stupid and, and like crying because we were laughing so hard. And he turned to me and he said, in the middle of all of our laughing, do you ever get really sad when you laugh this hard because you know it's going to end? And I was like, Whoa, what? <laughs> like... No, I've never thought that. Like, this is a very depressing way to live. We could talk a little bit more about that when we're done laughing. Like, what is going on here? (laughs) And yet, that's so true, isn't it? That in the moments that we experience sometimes great joy, uh, that we also experience great sadness. That's true even as we hope. Like it's true when we think about Christmas, that we have all of these ideas, these hopes for what could happen, what we could get, and sometimes those hopes are disappointed. Like, let's say you were a kid and you were really hoping for an iPod at some point in your childhood, and instead, you got the Dell version knockoff when you opened the box and you were really sad about it, but you had to accept it because you were thankful for what you got, right? Or, like, maybe there was a point when you were a teenager where you thought you just wanted one big thing, but all your siblings got all these little things, and then you were crying about it because you were so disappointed, but you're a teenager, so why are you crying? Like, maybe that's just me. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Right, there's there's disappointment and sadness that, that can be built in even to our hoping because what we learn from those experiences of being disappointed is not to hope too much. Yeah, we've lived those Christmases or Christmases like them. And so when we come into this Christmas, we're guarding ourselves. There's a fear even to hope and to experience the joy that comes with the hope. That's true with pregnancy. There's the hope that comes, but that hope is also connected with fear because we know that our hopes don't always come to fruition. We wonder, what if this baby doesn't get to be an outside baby? And then, when the children come into the world, the fear doesn't end. Because now I have this, this person in my life that I love so much, and I know that there are things that are going to happen that are going to be hard. That our joy as people is always haunted. In our passage, it, it talks about this. It says, one day there will be no gloom. What that means is that there is gloom in our world now. That there is a shadow that is constantly hanging over us, that's oppressing us. We read about it in verse four. The yoke of our burden is heavy. There's a staff on our shoulder. There's a rod of our oppressor ruling over us that we are a people who are oppressed. And ultimately, what stands over, what shadows our joy, what mocks it is death. That death is always mocking our joy. It's always telling us it's going to end. There's going to be a day where it ends ultimately, and there's going to be a time when it ends even in the moment. So death always stands there mocking our joy. And in the face of that mocking, so often our desires uh, become weak and watered down. The The fear of that stops us from even being able to appreciate or take in the joy that's around us. That's especially true when we come to believe that there is nothing after death when we get to a place where we've come to believe that death is the the end? That so often what happens emotionally is that when when we get to that point, it feels like someone has come and pulled pulled the plug on the bathtub of joy in our lives. And the joy drains out. What do we do in the face of that? Of that tension in our lives, of this deep desire to experience joy, and, and yet our knowledge that our joy is always mixed with pain and, and sadness, that it's overshadowed, that death stands there mocking us. What are we going to do with that? Do we shut down the joy in our hearts? And this passage says to us, Isaiah says to us, don't do that. It says, no, joy is a God-given thing. Our desire for joy is a God-given desire, and not just a little bit, a lot. But what is, what is in this passage that Isaiah is holding out a future that is full of joy? Look at the start of verse 3, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. That God's heart for his people is that their joy would not, only, uh, would not increase only by addition, but would increase by multiplication. This is exponential growth in joy. God is saying that is what he, that, that's what he wants for his people. It's like joy, Isaiah says, at the harvest. Right? Like when all of the hard work pays off and that what people are confronted with at the harvest is abundance. And what always happened after harvest was a big party where people celebrated. God provided, we have more than we need. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. No, Isaiah would encourage us, stoke those fires of joy in your heart. Desire joy. It's a good thing. He encourages us to look forward to a time when our joy will be unmixed with sorrow, where our joy will no longer be haunted, where our burdens will be lifted, where the oppressor will be defeated, a time where the gloom will be pushed aside. And Isaiah also tells us that that day that is coming, the day of the new heavens and the new earth, he says it's going to come in a very surprising way. That's what this line you have broken as on the day of Midian is all about. It's all about surprise. This day of Midian uh, is a throwback to something earlier in scripture. It's, It's like a hyperlink back in the Bible to the story of Gideon. And the story of Gideon is this man who was, Uh, who was full of fear, and yet who God used to work a great victory in Israel. That with 300 people, with 300 warriors, God overcame um, a massive army of tens of thousands of people that were arrayed against his people. That the Midianites who had been oppressing God's people were defeated, and defeated in a surprising way. What Isaiah is telling us is the source of this joy, the means for this joy happening, are very surprising. J.R. Tolkien calls this a Like because a catastrophe is like the breaking in of calamity in our world, the breaking in of disaster. A catastrophe is this breaking in, this cataclysmic entrance into our world of joy. And here's what is surprising about it. First of all, to us as modern people, what is perhaps most surprising about this joy is that God is the one bringing it about because what we have been told is that God is the enemy of our joy. There's this guy, H.L. Uh, Minkin. Uh, he said that a, a Puritan is someone who is afraid that, somewhere, uh, that someone somewhere is happy. And we have that perspective sometimes about God, don't we? That God is up there uh, and is afraid that people might be getting like, too, too happy about the world, so let's just kind of like keep it down, people. But all of these rules and formalities, all of this religiosity is all about tamping down our joy. That's what we've been told. In fact, what we've been told is that what really is going to free us as people is if we would get God out of here, that if we could cut God out, if we could get him out of our lives, if we could get him out of our culture, if we could get him out of our world, then finally we would become free to pursue the joy that we all know how to pursue and that finally we would have the freedom to be the joyful people that we know that we're supposed to be if we could just get God out of the picture. But here's the thing is that the more and more that we have done that, the more and more we have experienced as a people fear and anxiety and great sadness. The surprising thing about this passage is that it teaches us that your God is passionate about your joy. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased his joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. That you is God. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian, that God desires your joy so much that he wants to break the burdens and the oppression that shadow over you. At the very end of this passage, it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That our God burns with the passion to see us experience joy. Biblical reality reality is that your God is deeply committed to your joy. That he passionately burns to see you joyful. Isaiah also tells us that the means of this joy coming will also be surprising. And the seeds of that surprise are sown right here in the very next words. For to us, a child is born. That a child would be the source of the kind of joy that we're talking about in this passage. Establishing this kingdom of righteousness, of peace, this new heavens, new earth. And yet throughout the book of Isaiah, He builds the case that the coming of this king is going to be even more surprising than what we see even here in chapter 9. That the king that's coming is going to be a king unlike any king we would expect. Sometimes we throw shade on the people of Jesus' day for missing that he was the Messiah, right? That he was the king. Uh, Of course, they were confused. Because the way Jesus came was so surprising. That the king of the, that the, king of the universe would come wrapped in slot, swaddling clothes and laying in a manger in a trough that animals would eat from. That this king was born into poverty and remained in poverty his entire life. That this king, Isaiah tells us, had no good looks that we would be attracted to him or want to follow him. That he was an itinerant, wandering, homeless preacher. a king who we scorned and looked down on and mocked. He was a king who would bear the yoke of our burdens. That would experience the oppression that we experience. The king who would bring this great inbreaking of joy into our world is a king who would come to die. That's surprising. That in his death he was stricken with the rod himself. It talks about every garment being rolled in blood that will be burned as fuel for the fire, that Jesus' garments were covered in blood, but not the blood of his enemies, his own blood. And that after his death, uh, he rose from the grave. And that that victory was Jesus' mocking death. That the death that mocks our joy, that Jesus came to mock it to put it in its place, to defeat it. That's what verse 4, at least in part, is talking about, that the yoke of our burden, the staff of our shoulder, the rod of our oppressor of death has been broken in our lives, that when we are in Christ, the resurrection that he has experienced is a resurrection that we can hope and know and trust that we will experience. That through his resurrection, through, through his death and resurrection, that what he has secured for us is the hope of, of this promise, of a, of, of a kingdom that's coming, a new heavens and a new earth that is filled with a joy that is unending, a joy that you and I cannot out-imagine. That that is what is coming for us, and that's a future and a hope that's secured. a future and a hope that is so secure that there is nothing that you can do to undermine it. That the degree of your belief, uh, of your, the, the strength of your confidence that that new heavens and new earth is coming does not in any way uh, affect whether or not it's coming. That that future is secure. Oh, and now, guys, now this starts to change the way that we live as people, Right? Because we were talking about how joy is connected with hope. That I can experience joy now in the hope of what's to come. But that all of my hoping now is so often, right, that it's, it's touched by, it's marred by my fear and my sadness of, of what if it doesn't come to be. Well, the future that's been secured through us, through Jesus' death and resurrection, is a future that's secure. It's a future that you can't out or over hope which means that we can, with confidence, pull that joy from the future into our present. That's what the joy of Advent is about, pulling that secure joy from the future here into our present reality. To remind ourselves, no, there is a kingdom coming. There's a new heavens and a new earth. And that the confidence of that would bear us up even now in the midst of our anguish and gloom. And... and how oh, that promise, it frees us to admit the darkness that we experience all around us. That rather than closing our eyes to it to try to be joyful, no, 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 I can't see that gloom, I don't want to see it, I don't want to talk about it, I don't want to think about it. No, we are free as people who follow Jesus to admit that it is all around us. And that the darkness and seeing the darkness for what it is, calling it out for what it is, then allows us to contrast that with the kingdom that we know is coming. It makes the light even lighter. And for some of us, admitting the darkness that is around us is really hard to do. That we've been taught now, being a Christian means just being very optimistic and always finding the silver lining in everything. No, you are free to admit the pain and the suffering that's in the world around you. And yet, the promise of that kingdom that's coming is also a kingdom that has broken into the here and now. That Jesus' death and resurrection, it matters for now, for how we live now. And what he tells us is that that kingdom is always coming. It's coming even here and now in this world. And so what we can expect as people who follow Jesus is that there are gonna be times where that joy punches into our day-to-day lives now. Like sunshine on a cloudy day, right? Like when the Like when the when the clouds cover the sky, but but they kind of part and you see like a a shaft of sunshine break into our world? That happens. There are ways that we get to experience moments and tastes of the kingdom that's going to come even now. And there are ways that we experience that that are so ordinary and everyday. That when you are tired, when you get home from work, or tired after a long day of Doing whatever God has called you to—that is work. But there can be joy in that. To recognize, oh God, you have called me to something good that I've spent myself for. Oh, there's joy there. Then when we see uh, flowers breaking up uh, in the deadness, in, the, in out of the deadness in the springtime, there's joy there. When we get to go on walks with good friends and enjoy their company and creation that God has made, there's joy there. A even something as simple as a good meal or a tasty cup of coffee when your house is silent for just a minute, right? There's joy there. That those are moments, those are tastes of the kingdom breaking in even now. And that we're free then. We, we have been given the courage, knowing the joy that is coming, to embrace those moments and accept them for all that they are as we experience them. We don't have to hold onto them, grasp, grasp onto them, try to make them last forever. We get to experience them as the gift that they are. To put our arms around both the joy and the sadness that comes with them. Knowing yes, the moments of joy will end. Yes, the friends that have come to visit will eventually go home. Yes, the Jenny's pint will like it will run out, right? Yes. Marche did close. It's very sad. Oh, man, that's the thing, guys, huh? That's the thing that really got you, was Marche closing. I mean, it's true. That we are a people who are free to experience the joy of the kingdom breaking in even with the sadness that it brings. And ultimately, what you and I know and have experienced, all of us, is that the deepest joys in our lives are the joys that come from relationship. Isn't that true? We were celebrating a friend last night who turned 30, and at at this birthday dinner, people were making toasts and speeches, and what was so clear is that the deepest joys that we experience as people are the joys that come to us in relationship. and that's true with this kingdom that we are looking forward to that the center of all of that joy is our king and what is true about our king our king jesus is that his heart uh, was set on your joy his heart uh, it's it's set on you I heard a pastor say one time that on the day of his crucifixion, Jesus was the most joyful person in Jerusalem. Hebrews tells us that. It was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. That his joy is to be with you, to have his relationship with you restored. Now that it has been through his death and resurrection, his joy is to be with you in the midst of whatever you were going through here and now as we walk in this earth and ultimately when we see him face to face in the new heavens and new earth, that you are Jesus' joy. That ultimately as we walk through and experience uh, the joy that comes from pulling from that future hope, That as we experience the joy that comes from the kingdom breaking in, that all of that joy, what it points us to is our Jesus. Our Jesus who has come for us, who loves us, and is passionate for our joy. So we're going to have a chance here uh, to worship. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. I just want to encourage you, as we are worshiping uh, this morning, would you let the Holy Spirit uh, guide your mind and your heart? but if there are places, uh, there may be places that he's calling you to acknowledge uh, the gloom and the anguish that you see and experience all around you. Would you have the courage to do that? There may be places that he's calling you to joy, to acknowledging the places that joy has broken or is breaking into your life even now. Oh, yes, would you acknowledge that with him? Let me pray for us. Jesus we oh, we praise you. Oh, we praise you as a Jesus uh, whose love is so much greater than we could ask or imagine. Or that your love is a love that comes for us, a love that has chased us down because you delight in us, because you rejoice over us with singing, Lord, because we are your joy. And yet, Father, we live in a world that's so broken. We know that you know that because you've experienced it yourself. Come down and experienced it with us. Jesus, as we worship you, would you guide our hearts into the reality uh, of our world and even deeper than that, into the reality of your love for us? Would you birth joy in those places? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.